0: Welcome to Old Town New World. We're here in Old Town Rock Hill, South Carolina at Millstone Pizza. I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Gervais. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Small Town USA. Welcome, welcome everybody. Uh, With us as always, holding the mic is uh, behind the mic Micah. Hello Micah, how you doing? Well said, well put. Uh, we also have with us Mr. John Venable. John? Pretty good. All right, great, welcome John. And of course, we have Chris. Chris, you look handsome today.
1: Thanks, thanks. You Also, you guys all look good. Everybody here looks good. Great. <laughs> That's awesome, well
0: well said. Well said, classy guy, that Chris. And our guest today, we have Mr. Zach Abernathy. Welcome, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man, we appreciate it. So, Zach is a mathematician, and uh, Zach works at Winthrop He's a professor over there, and um, we've done our company, RevenFlow, has done some projects with him, um, and it's fascinated me the idea of you know applying mathematics into into the world and in, in pragmatic sense and business sense and and how you run your organization, how you make decisions. Um, you know, you can't a kid can't say anymore. Well, I'm never going to use this stuff. Right, you know. Right. So Zach, let's uh, before we get in specifically to. Um, the programs that you're running at Winthrop. Let's hear about how you even got to Rock Hill to begin with.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I grew up in North Carolina in uh, Winston-Salem, and I uh, was born and raised all my life, and uh, ended up going to Wake Forest University.
0: Wait a minute, hold on. You were born and raised all your life?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I kept, I kept, I kept being born over. It was really <laughs> weird. that has gotta thing. be exhausting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Terrible. That's right. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So, so eventually, I got through being born at, at some point. And uh, then I I ended up deciding to go to uh, Wake Forest University, it was right in my backyard. and got mentored by some really cool math professors there, ended up falling in love with the subject. Was Skip Prosser the coach? Yes, he was. Okay. Yes, he was. Yeah, and I actually had uh, kind of strong basketball ties to Wake Forest as well growing up. I was kind of watching Tim Duncan play. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chris Paul went to my middle school and high school. Oh so what? Um, yeah, yeah, he, he was in he, my same school. Yeah, yeah, that's he, where you broke that scoring record with the free throw yeah. and all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my absolutely. gosh. Yeah, I, I, was, I was there during all of that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Were um, you defending against him? Oh, yeah. I. I, I <laughs> I got. I got to play against him. Oh, wow, really? I like, can wow. pick up basketball. I did. Man, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, cool.
0: yeah. Totally dunk
2: on him. Oh, oh, yeah. That's what I mean. He, he got all of his skills from me, clearly.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> um, like Math tells me
2: the angle is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whenever I get on a hot streak, people always accuse me of that. Like yeah, he's, right, he's right. like calculating it in his mind. Right. <laughs>
0: Um, so Let salem yeah.
2: Yeah, that's right. So yeah, went to Wake Forest, uh, kind of caught the math bug there, uh, met some really cool math professors that mentored me, uh, also met my kind of wife-to-be there at the time, and then we both decided to go get a PhD at uh, North Carolina State University. Oh, wow. And um, after that, uh, we both uh, decided that we you know, really enjoyed academia, we wanted to stay in it. Uh, so went on the job search, uh, looking for a university that kind of had some blending of teaching and research, uh, found Winthrop, and they liked both of us and, and picked us up and it's, uh, it's been Rock Hill ever since, and, and we oh, love so it. when was that? Um, so uh, I, we, we got our PhDs in 2011 okay. um, and got hired by Winthrop uh, the summer right after that.
0: Wow. Okay. So it's been math now for a decade, 12 years, 15 years.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and really, it's, it's kind of been a lifelong passion. I mean, I, I, I had a knack for it early on, and uh, you know, teachers kind of noticed that early on and kept pushing me, and uh, so I, I kind of built some self-esteem up in it, and it just kind of always is sort of like a natural path for me. You ever? Um, I, I
0: remember being fascinated with discovering that math was the kind of the language of the universe, so to speak. So when I started learning about, you know, uh, quantum physics and Einstein and all this. I was thinking, wow, they're speaking it in math because there aren't any words or visual images that can express it.
2: Right. You yep. Know? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Are you interested in the macro or the micro? Or where do you come in in the math?
2: Um, so my, my kind of interests have kind of changed over time with that. I think I fell in love with math originally just for its own sake, like its kind of beauty and its, and its universe, uh, universal appeal, kind of what you were describing. Um, and so I started off with my own mathematical work being very pure, just kind of like doing math for math's sake. Um, but then over time, you know, when I came to Winthrop and wanted to start getting undergraduates involved. Uh, Sometimes it's kind of hard to motivate them, say like, hey, just like solve this math equation because it's cool. Um, You know, so trying to find some kind of practical interest uh, for it to kind of help my math students buy in became uh, something that was appealing to me. And so then um, I kind of started up with this line of research uh, using mathematical equations to try to predict cancer growth and treatment. Um, and kind of getting students involved in that. Um, and then here even more recently, uh, trying to find applications of math to uh, kind of industrial and business settings, which which led me to you. Very cool, man. Very cool. So, um, you know,
0: John is a, uh, our lead developer over at Revenflow, and a lot of the thinking processes that you go through when, you, when you're doing math, just for math's sake, is a lot of the logic and process that John works through in developing and coding. John, is that fair?
2: Uh, yeah, um, like I, I work more with the abstract concept of like how something flows rather than the specific numbers. I don't let the computer deal with the, the numbers, but knowing how they interact with each other, of like if this changes, I expect this value to change
0: over here. So, so you're writing the equation, not doing the, the, doing the equation? Correct. Very cool.
2: Um, yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, just going through that thought process of understanding how those different pieces, like, affect one another, and that sort of, like, level of logical thinking, yeah. that is mathematics. So whenever, whenever people think of mathematics, they're thinking of, like, manipulating numbers, or solving for X, or the right. quadratic the formula, itself, you know, yeah, all that stuff. But, but that, that's, that is a huge kind of misconception. So mathematics is kind of the art of thinking logically in a certain way, and identifying patterns, and, and understanding consequences, and having a set of rules, and kind of playing with those sets of rules, and kind of gathering. <laughs> Consequences from them.
0: So when you apply math to something like cancer, for example, which is mm-hmm. exceptional and wonderful um, that you would be in that endeavor, but are you, are, you on the, are you basically seeking a set of rules because there's a natural kind of, like you don't know the rules when you set out really?
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're, you're trying to kind of find a way to describe the growth that's happening inside the body. So you're trying to quantify that and learn sort of what's driving that growth and like the way that the cells are interacting and trying to then come up with some predictions for how some treatment would make that growth change. Um, and that can save a lot of headache, you know, I mean, it's very expensive and dangerous to run trials and stuff like this. So if you can use mathematics to predict some of that stuff ahead of time, then that's, that's awesome.
0: Do you encounter fractals when you're looking at cancer?
2: Um, not not yet, but uh, but that's a whole separate area of math that I'm also kind of really interested in. I think that's a good one to tap into to kind of bring math to the more kind of general public. Yeah. Um, uh, it's kind of a nice visual way of kind of combining math and art and kind of bringing people it's into really it. Trippy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can sit there and uh, yeah, play with like those little Mandelbrot set viewers and stuff, yeah, right. and yeah, it's all psychedelic and everything. Yeah, awesome. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Chris. we... Um, well, I'm going to say that's because, okay, so I am, I, um,
1: the thing I don't understand mm-hmm. is uh, math.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but uh, so I'm, I'm very, I, I'm, I'm a very creative person mm-hmm. and I have never been good at math. And, it's, and to the point that I have like anxiety and when I attempt sure. to, like over the years just being in public school, when I attempt to do even basic math, we'll sometimes get the, like, you know, like, uh, in Saving Private Ryan when he's on the beach and the, woo, and, like, that, I'll get tunnel vision when I attempt to do even basic math. When I'm willing right. to leave a tip at a restaurant, I will sometimes <laughs> get cross-eyed and drool <laughs> because I just get zoned out because it's, like, it freaks me out so much. You know, right. It's something I never had a grasp of, and it's funny that, and Jason went right to the idea of math as that, like, mystical language of reality because no matter how you approach it, it is. Like, it's the one thing you can't question uh... has to be a galactic language. It has to be. It's the language of reality. There's no way around that. Um, which, like, that's why... So, like, I only talk about movies. And, you know, in Close Encounters, the idea is that aliens would communicate with music because that actually totally makes sense that it's, it's not only is that math, it's also math that a caveman would understand. No matter what form of intelligence you are, if you can hear the tones, or right. where I mean, I mean this. I, you know, dogs will react when you play guitar. You know, like it's yeah, yeah. there's there's no brain capacity you have to be at to understand music. You know? But it is also math. You know, it's right. vibration, it's numbers. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. And so I understand that and how that's cool and interesting. But that's mm-hmm. all. That's all the access I have to math.
0: <laughs> I mean, how come there's so much anxiety around people and math?
2: So I think that uh, it's it's kind of a problem with math education. Uh, in, in the uh, kind of early going. So I think a lot of that math anxiety kind of builds from an early age. You know, people either have like a bad experience with a math teacher. I mean, I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that. Um, I did. My math teacher used to, uh, when we would get something wrong, she would have a hot iron and she would
1: press it on the back of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't have
2: Right, that. right. No, no, no. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but there are there's, there's stories like that that, that that just abound. You know, a lot of people okay. kind of uh, uh, have very negative experiences early on. But I think part of it is... Um, uh, the, the lack of some of like the cool stuff really early on. So, I mean, if you think about teaching somebody to play music, right? So let's, let's make an analogy with music. And let's say that, uh, first of all, you make it mandatory for every student to take music. And when they're young, you force them to kind of like learn all of these symbols and squiggles and learn the theory first and, they never and hear and, and enjoy never hear. Yeah. yeah and it, you know if they if they don't know their circle of fifths by the time they're in the 3rd grade they're behind they're and they yeah. need to go get a music tutor to get caught up yeah, right. and so you kind of like you create this environment where you you're, it's it's stressful trying to learn like those mathematical rules early on and so yeah. if
0: you were able to to experience some type of wonder and emotional reaction to it contextually and then you're gonna start learning it technically like the way you already have a love for music in some way when you start trying to learn how to do the technical pieces exactly
2: yeah. exactly yeah that, that, that's right so that the theory comes later you know I mean you, you pick up a guitar and you're like man this thing can make a beautiful sound I want to learn more about how that sound is produced like that's what we need to be doing with math that's, because that's that, cool. that same type of beauty is there but people get turned off from all these rules and theory that it is really kind of like an afterthought to what math really is that's so really interesting because that's I'll say for my personal experience
1: like like I said I mean just always as bad at math as you can possibly be but see music math has a narrative like the the notes have a relationship and so I was actually like an autodidact with music like when I was when I, when I picked up a guitar like I didn't I no one taught me and I just was like I looked at the patterns and I I wrote down where the notes were and then it was just like it made complete sense to right. me and like you said the circle of fists was like it all made absolute sense to me mm-hmm. with no question but I was horrible at basic math but like I said it was a narrative I'll say for me like when I learned basic numbers as a kid I remember in elementary school seeing Number one was a dad, and number two was a son, and number three was their sister. And then number four was her friend. Her older brother was number five, which just sounds insane. It sounds like that was the, a serial killer as a child yeah. or something. <laughs> but it was just like the only access I had, I have to assign things narrative, right. or I cannot see their value. Right. And it's like, so I think that, yeah, finding what makes a kid you know tick or whatever yeah. makes total sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the, like with my children, I remember when I showed them the whole idea of the that shell, that beach shell, that looked, shaped just like a galaxy, mm-hmm. and I just showed them the two side by side, it was like, I thought their brains were going to explode. Right. You know what oh. I mean? Just yeah. seeing that is so amazing, yeah. and it gives them like a macro context, if you will, around math. Right. You know, because right. there's some, like, reaction to it that's
2: cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, so why not, I mean, we, we need to show kids like these fractals from a really early age and then say that, you know, there's like a little simple quadratic equation that kind of produces that image. Yeah. So that's why you need to go learn the quadratic formula and this kind of stuff, I right? I think a big
0: opportunity to, to rewrite the way we um, engage math as a, as a te- you know, something we teach with children has to do with um, the children earlier and earlier learning to do programming work in, in the digital space mm-hmm. because it's doing what you're saying, they get to see something on a screen and then they do some math essentially, some logic work, and then it changes what's going on on the screen and they get to be proud of it like they created a piece of art. Right. Versus, you know, my daughter shows me her math uh, quiz because of the red number at the top of the page. That's right. She's not yeah, showing like me the yeah, art yeah. created in the process of doing the math. That's like, right. But then she shows me a drawing that she did mm-hmm. because she wants me to see her actual work.
2: Absolutely. And that, that's one reason why I think mathematics has always struggled uh, over the years to kind of gain the same type of cultural acceptance because when somebody has like a flash of brilliance in um, music, they get to produce this kind of piece mm-hmm. that then kind of invites people. They can listen to that piece and they can kind of recognize that genius and that insight and same thing with like a drawing a portrait or something you know drawing some piece Uh, when you when you have these kind of like creative outbursts there's something tangible that the person can look at but with math like that same type of thing happens but your sort of creative energy gets put forth into this kind of like theorem or something or this connection between ideas and it's not as tangible to kind of show people you're right and really
0: back to your earlier comments as as children it we don't even give them that much. What they actually end up doing is, is just avoiding the pain of being wrong. That's like, that's the reward. Right. They're, they're trying not to experience the pain of getting it wrong.
2: Right. And that's that about is. it. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, now, um, but some people love to work puzzles. Mm-hmm. And so, excuse me, those people tend to adopt to it well just for the simple fact of it's a little puzzle.
2: That's right. That's right. And, yeah, and I think that, really, I think we should do more of that uh, early on in, like, mathematics education, yeah. like, in the, in the classroom. Just let them play with puzzles and let them learn how to think and to try things. Because, I mean, that's what we do as professional mathematicians all the time. Yes. Like, we view everything as, like, a little puzzle that we're just trying to, to, to solve. That's yeah.
1: awesome. That's
2: ex- exactly what I did when I was growing up. Like, I did tons of puzzles, tons of logic stuff, and, like, I just fell, fell in love with the, the idea of doing logic, um, which... I know they're hand in hand but like I'm more on the logic side of things than the mathematics sides of things mm-hmm. um, but they're really like part of the same thing yeah yeah so much
1: of, of development and code is like I mean now like I said, I'm an outsider says so it's way more your language but to me a lot of times stuff comes down to if this then this that's like constantly about if this is true then this is true if this is false then this is false you know and like that's that's math you know yeah I
2: mean that, that's that's how you write in programming like you have if statements which is yeah. if this thing which is going to be some mathematic statement because it's either equal to or it's greater than or it's not something then do this mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. it's funny i was sorry so if no one else has <laughs> if I, I'm, I feel like I keep running away with it to talk about movies but that's what I do um, I think it's interesting you're talking about the cultural view of uh math, you know, you take, there's a lot of uh, cultural sensitivity that's altered ideas for movies now. Like there was a time when you could make a movie about how three suburban kids become ninjas, and they become the experts, of, because it was a sensibility around that at the time that was okay, whereas now there's like more sensitivity, well, no, that's not accurate, and that's offensive, but take, like, math, and that, that also happens in schlocky, kind of low art, right? But, like, Darren Aronofsky's movie Pie, have you ever seen that? No, no. Okay, well, it's a really awesome movie, I think you should check it out, mm-hmm. but someone like you, I think, would probably view it the same way that someone's into, uh, you know, asian arts or karate or whatever would would view three ninjas and you'd probably be like this is this is so stupid <laughs> but the thing is it's like it's like a super artistic movie you don't like pie is this unquestionable great indie movie it launched darren aronofsky's career mm-hmm. um but it's like it's okay to do that it's about i'm sorry that's what it's actually about it's about jewish mysticism and like this idea that this mathematician unlocks the secret of god mm-hmm. with a math equation and the thing is is like you can do that and still make this super artsy indie movie, and not have anybody laugh about the fact that the, the way you would with like someone who makes the let's make a movie about volleyball. Only they're punks and like they play cool. They have face paint. And they play volleyball. You know, um, you can do that with math because we we still view math as completely alien yeah, we don't get it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um,
0: think about the movies like everything from Good Will Hunting, to um, yeah, yeah, to The Beautiful Mind, and like those kinds of movies where the the genius that's represented by the wall that's full of equations. Right. It's like it's either they're either insane or they're genius or probably both, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So it's right. interesting, like, but I think that's reinforced by this notion that we feel like mathematics taps into something, like in that example, God, you know, whatever, however you express it, something bigger than the conventions of our culture and society. Mm-hmm. It's tapped into some greater thing.
1: Yeah, like you can't you can't go make a movie now about computer hackers and have yeah and have them be punk and cool and stuff you know but you could but because we understand everybody there's nobody that computers isn't part of their everyday life so you can't do that you know you can you're, you'll probably always be able to do that with math right that's
0: interesting. so let's get to this you worked with us um, you had two groups of students who came and worked with Rev and Flow um, and we approached two different problems. One of them was um, variable pricing. So Revenflow does a lot of um, hourly billing work and we bill a lot of it at a flat rate. So we're looking at uh, what would happen if we introduced different variable pricing. Um, The other thing that we looked at, we started one project where we were potentially going to look at capacity of our staff. um, And then what what was the third, what did we end up on the second
2: group? Um, so, sort of like exploring like the, the, the diversity of the skill sets uh, of, of the various oh, yeah, employees. Yeah, yeah. And
0: Absolutely, and we looked at projects, and so we were able to look at projects and see like, okay, if we're going to build a website, they they, they did a lot of modeling for us where with the data we had, to where we could see what percentage of work um, is before and after the launch of the site, and more importantly, how does the nature, the character of the work change when certain milestones pass? and how does that affect our company's capacity? So, for example, it has very pragmatic uh, application because would it be good for our company to get 100 websites at the same time? Yeah, we'd love to, but it would, it would destroy it. John's like, no, we wouldn't love that. It would destroy us because if everything's on the same timeline, all of the resources are needed at the same time, at the same place. So staggering projects is what allows, you know, this one's development heavy right now, but then it's going to go to design work or, you know, writing and and it moves around. So some of the students were modeling this kind of stuff. So Now, um, are we the, there were other private companies involved in your semester as well. So how about giving us just kind of an overview of the class, the semester and the grant that you got?
2: Yeah, sure. So this all started through a grant uh, that actually my, my wife got first uh, uh, the, the, the previous year, and then I, I got it as well like the, the following year. Um, but the grant is called uh, PIC Math. It stands for Preparing Industrial Careers in the Mathematical Sciences. And uh, this is sponsored by the Mathematical Association of America. It's funded by National Science Foundation. And the whole purpose of this is to kind of train both faculty and students into uh, kind of how you can use math to solve real-world problems. You know, like, you have all these word problems that you invent in a math textbook, but who cares about that? We have so many. Leave. Yeah, one yeah. train leaves Chicago, right. one train leaves, yeah. Three so
1: balls in the Palisade Parkway. No one's <laughs> around to see it. No, I'm just kidding. African swallow? Or?
2: <laughs> right, and so, so why, why not uh, actually get our students working on kind of these, these real industrial problems? Um, so we kind of reached out to our, um, uh, our career and civic engagement office on campus who put us in contact with Frank Keel at the yeah. city of Rock Hill and uh, said, you know, we're looking for people to partner with to work on kind of cool problems. He's like, I know who you need to talk to. And so then he put me in, in contact with you. Well, you know what's funny, man?
0: When uh, they started that program over at the city where they're... Um, helping interns get placed Uh, and the the talent pipeline yeah yeah. when they first started it so they were like okay well this is part of the knowledge park initiative it's about tech and whatnot so we're doing this so that people can get you know web developers or designers well pretty soon i I was working with them you know i was like man i need we need writers And, and then then we were like i need like process people i need you know i mean the two most recent people we've hired solely focus on internal processes and logic and moving work through our organization and how all that happens and then have to be able to create meaningful metrics so that we can understand efficiency Um, you know you take a Henry Ford um, where you're talking about the efficiency of how a part gets moved across a belt or something well when you don't have parts instead you have 12 people who come inside a, a space every day and they have access to the Internet, and that's what you are, that's what you have, mm-hmm. then you have, to, you have to have all these kind of efficiency indexes around human behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, So just like Henry Ford and, and just like the um, manufacturing has all kinds of measurements and tracking, and they're trying to cut costs by half a penny, a you know, you know, fraction of a cent, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that going on now with services and, and human behavior. So right. I think it's great that the city is seeing that. It's not we don't just need you know somebody who can r- write code, we need somebody who can manage and document the resources and the hours allocated towards writing code, you know what I mean right yeah yeah,
2: yeah, and what you're talking about it's actually an entire branch of mathematics, it's called operations research, and it's exactly this kind of thing it's 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 optimizing these processes these um, yeah these kind of you know conveyor belt kind of ideas you know like getting a getting a factory to run efficiently and these kinds of things but any sort of like logistical kind of scheduling problem like that, um, that that's an entire field of mathematical study that we kind of train for yeah, that's
0: awesome, man. Yeah.
2: and I bet usually that is applied to traditionally
0: I would imagine to you know manufacturing and things so I bet it's really interesting that it can be applied to a 12 person creative company
2: Yeah, and uh, that's also kind of uh, leading into this kind of new boom in mathematics, which is like the the study of big data. You know, I mean, all these companies are kind of gathering all this data, and, uh, you know, all all these kind of mathematical algorithms are starting to be produced now.
0: Let me clarify. So this is when, uh, after Data kind of left the, the, the Star Trek group and kind of got out of shape, and... He gained a lot of weight, and so he got a nickname, Big, Big Data. Data but, that's yeah. right. But, Developed an ego. Yeah. He became a rapper. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's Lil Data. Yeah, Lil oh, that's Lil Data. Lil Data's from Goonies. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, please continue. Um, right. But so, so now there's all these kind of mathematical techniques uh, being developed to search for these undiscovered patterns within all this data that these companies are collecting to try to inform better business decisions.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, man. I mean, you, you know, you start collecting all this data and then you got to figure out what to do with it. I, you know, now we find ourselves in a situation where we want to implement a system that's going to give us some type of output because we're looking for the output. But the problem is, there's no data. There's no big data. Gotcha. Um, but there's no data going into the system. So, when you in, like when you implement a system, you have to implement kind of implement like so. So what I'm trying to say is, like you're trying to get the outcome. Like I want to see the report on how efficient we are, because then you have to have the system that's going to generate the report from the data, and then you have to have the human behavior and processes and the rules to where people systematically put in all the data, or you got nothing. I mean, you guys. I couldn't imagine how y'all could have, how your class could have engaged and done so much meaningful work if we wouldn't have been able to provide them with a whole year's worth of hours data.
2: Oh right, right. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's that's your starting point. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I mean, I guess, I guess it needs to be a part of every organization's um, behavior to collect all kinds of data and then figure out later how to how to use it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you, you certainly uh, want both of those things. I think that, yeah, a, a lot of businesses are becoming more data-driven, um, and, but you also need kind of uh, people there to, to analyze it. If you're just collecting a bunch of stuff and it sits there, then there's no purpose in doing it. Yeah, right. Yeah, And, of course, we're in the world of, um, to where, you know, it's
0: funny how things get. You know, when, when, when we first found out people were collecting all kinds of data about us as a culture, we got scared then it turned into so much data they were collecting that we just didn't care anymore because it's like it just seems like too much data that to make it be an invasion of privacy anymore it's like now they have everything so (laughs) yeah i guess it's not privacy anymore i don't know right i mean how do you feel how do math is there are there philosophical stances being taken in academia by mathematicians around the data collection on the internet
2: um, so in terms of you know security and privacy and that kind of thing, I don't I don't really uh, engage in that. that. That that's kind of like not really within my wheelhouse. Um, so yeah, so I, I think a lot of us are kind of just more concerned with like the, the problem solving and the puzzles. You know, like if we're if we're sitting on this pile of data, like what sort of patterns and cool stuff can we find about it? Well, but
0: what, what to what extent does a mathematician have a responsibility around the usage of their uh, skills? I mean the classic Einstein. Thing in the atomic bomb. I mean, you know, he he was against using it, but if it wasn't for him, it would have never been created. Is there a sense of response? Is there an ethics taught in academia around mathematics?
2: Um, So probably not as much as there should be. uh, In in some cases, I mean, I think that. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of mathematics in its purest form is just discovery for discovery's sake, um, and so we don't really hold back in any sense like that. I mean, if, there, if there's something to be found, we're going to hunt for it. We, yeah. we just kind of we, we can't help ourselves. Um, that's just the same
0: way, right? right I mean, yeah. yeah, theoretically, science needs to just pursue, right? And then, you know, unfortunately, we have to leave it to our politicians to decide when to use it or not use it,
2: you know. know, Because you think about Einstein, I mean, all of Einstein's creativity and all of his discoveries, I mean, we wouldn't have GPS, we wouldn't have our understanding of special relativity and all these other kinds of things, and so the fact that some of his discoveries were kind of used for this kind of development of the atomic bomb, would you have rathered that he didn't explore any of that, and we don't have any of these other amazing technologies that we have today? So there's always going to be sort of a give and take with that.
1: You know, it's funny, I think it was the last episode we recorded, Jason brought up the uh, truth that culture always trumps process, and that's because it, you don't have a choice like and culture tends to me like that sort of like culture to me feels more like it's a memetic behavior like the idea of like a meme the idea of like this unpredictable thing that happens that people reproduce and, a, and adapt to it or adopt it and adapt to it or whatever um versus processes which is like an unquest this no this is like this is this is not a feeling this is not your hunch this is not you're pretty sure it is mm-hmm. and um but humans will always follow that, like, sort of stream of uh, all of us doing stuff or whatever. But it's funny that you bring up something like <clears throat> the atomic bomb, you know, or the iPhone or whatever, mm-hmm. that, that it, it, there's all these moments when process and data and information completely destroy culture. Or not destroy it, but completely trump it and completely say, no, 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 no here's this atomic bomb, or no, 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 here's this iPhone, or no, 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 here's this theory of relativity, and you, and then nobody has a choice. So it's like ultimately there are moments when process and data and
2: well, that's trump culture.
0: Man. That's interesting to say that, because I'm actually hearing the opposite. I'm hearing that it's the culture, our culture, that would have driven us to drop the atomic bomb regardless of the processes that might go through. But anyway, that's something we can approach right, from both
1: angles. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, The idea that uh, violence from an atomic bomb Cannot be, uh, well, that we don't. That's not cool. We're not going to do. We're not going to die now. That's not cool. We decided not to. Whereas culture can say to other forms of math, like, Meh, we don't care. We don't care if you're saying that's the truth. We decided this other thing. Like violence, you cannot disagree with. You know, like it, so, kill, it kills you. So
0: where are we on? Uh, I mean, have you seen that math be villainized by uh, kind of zealots of uh, different types? Like, let's say, like religious fanatics, for example, like. Is there is there a fear of math in the way that there is science? You know how, unfortunately, uh, religion and science in the popular framework have been put to be opposite right. in a lot of people's minds, which is mm-hmm. terrible for us as a cultural as a culture. H- has math been uh, made a, a dichotomy or a y- yin to the yang or anything?
2: Like uh, I actually don't think so. I think math has kind of dodged a bullet so far in that sense because it, it doesn't, math in, in and of itself doesn't really kind of challenge some of people's kind of core values the same way that science might. If you think about, you know, like a, a debate on evolution or something like this and, uh, you know, human origins and these kinds of things. You know, well, like if ma- you could read Stephen Hawking's math, they would know it does challenge a
0: lot of what is <laughs> traditional convention. Right.
1: right. Yeah.
2: yeah, That that is absolutely true.
1: But, <laughs> but, um, the, but then ultimately say things that are, more surreal and outlandish than anything that religion ever came up with, you know? (laughs) Which is crazy. It's
0: insane, yeah. But please, I mean, so you don't think it's been villainized in any way like that? Uh,
2: no, 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 not, not really. I don't, I don't really see, like, a lot of strife there per se. I think that, again, math's main problem right now is, uh, again, it's kind of what we would already touched on earlier about, you know, just like the, the shortcomings of how it's presented from an early age and people developing math anxiety early on. I think that's kind of the, the main kind of challenges that math is facing right now.
0: You know, when I learned how to, uh, I am not a programmer, um, but when I learned how to um, write HTML, CSS, And then I learned how to um, manipulate a WordPress website, which has PHP. Um, I still don't know how to write PHP, but I've developed with only infrastructural support, like somebody sets it up up on a server for me, a website. I've developed, you know, I mean, 50 websites, like by myself. And I just like, I look at the pretty thing on the screen and then I go into the code and then I just break it. And then I, I... Revert it back to what it was, and then I break something else. Mm-hmm. And I re- so deconstruction seems to be a really powerful uh, process because it lets you connect to that larger thing, like music. You know, like when you're deconstructing music, it's like when you sit down with a guitar and you figure out a riff of a popular song, and you're like, "Oh my God, that is you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Major Tom, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, it's a deconstruction process. Is there is there an opportunity where children could be presented something to deconstruct mathematically?
2: Um, so that's a good uh, question. I mean, I think that we, we could do a lot more, um, we, we could do a much better job of giving students a chance to kind of create Uh, mathematical results themselves and to conjecture and to try things and be wrong and learn from that and self-discover results instead of the way that we're doing it right now where we just say that well all of these formulas were figured out hundreds of years ago here they are memorize Memorize them Um, so yeah I just I think that absolutely we need to give students just more of a chance to, 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 to tinker the same way that you would with like a you know a musical riff or something just just go play with it and then see what you can come up with and Tell me what you think the area formula is for a triangle, and we'll see whether you're right or wrong. But don't just tell them that it's one-half base times height and then make them do 100 problems and see if they get it. Um. Huh. Chris? I think it's a... Since we're in this realm now, like, the idea
1: that there's a lot of people who argue when you say that, like, well, pop songs are math, you know, and a lot of people get mad at that kind of stuff because they're like, no, 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 it's emotional. These songs are emotion. There's there's no math. There's no math. And I've personally never much like the way you were saying like it's the way we are just decide well math and science versus religion you know who will win um, is ridiculous and like a lot I think that like because you know I've spent the last ten years of my life learning about storytelling and time and time again when I talk about it with people if you bring up the idea of like uh, like Joseph Campbell identified the monomyth which is the idea that we, we're really we've always been telling the same story we keep telling it and he he's all about quantifying well these things are always there and then you get to uh, Blake Snyder, which is guy, totally vilified in screenwriting, because he said, if you look at all the great movies, at uh, minute 10, this happens, and at minute 20, this happens, and if you don't nail those beats right down, then you're not making a great movie. Every that You're supposed to say that's stupid. That's the whole point. And the thing is, is like, to a degree, I guess it is silly if you're always saying this moment, this happens. But I, I personally have never thought quantifying something takes the magic out of it. I've never... I think that's a... I think that's like one of those, I don't know if truism is the word or whatever, but there's things that we just, it sounds right. It sounds like you say, well, if you, if you say a song is math, it's not. It's about the heart. It's about the emotion. And I don't see, what's the difference? Why does so saying, identifying patterns mean there's no emotion? So
0: that is a dichotomy then that has been created. I mean, I think you just kind of identified one because you're right. It, it almost, it would insult a, um, it's an insulting thing to say to a songwriter to say that song sounds formulaic. Yeah. That's like an insult. Yet, like, formulas are are some of the most useful things in the world to achieve a predictable outcome. So you want to make a catchy song that is, uh, you know, and then you can have your own artistic twists on it. It's kind of like writing a sonnet. I mean, when you write a sonnet, you follow the rules of the sonnet, and that's part of what makes it powerful. There's a formula. But you're right, I think that it has been dichotomized.
1: That's the thing. What is uninteresting at all about saying all these viewers of movies in the world happen to want the same emotion to happen at the same moment and then they want this emotion at that moment what is uninteresting about that I think it's absolutely fascinating that people can move and think and feel in a in a quantified way I think that is interesting and fascinating and it says something about our relationship to reality and our ancestors and, and you know and, and and I think it's all totally fascinating just because you put numbers on it doesn't Kill the magic, you know. Mm-hmm. I've never felt that way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I say uh, patterns.
0: Patterns.
1: Patterns. <laughs> patterns is good. I don't care what you say. What my, my little
0: girl used to say uh, patterns. Both my kids I think <laughs> patterns. Um, okay, so Zach, let's let's get back here as kind of a, a summary on um, how all these ideas that Chris is talking about, that I'm talking about, you're talking about, that you're starting to apply this type of stuff in your work. You got this mm-hmm. grant that you're working with, where you work with my company you've got this wonderful program you're doing this summer, so why don't we start there with the program you're doing this summer, and, and if you can, pepper in some of the, what we've been talking about, this idea of giving context and not vilifying and all this kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, so I mean, this this summer in particular, what we're going to be doing are these kind of uh, cancer models. So, you know, we're developing these equations to predict kind of cancer growth and treatment over time. Um, and I mean, that, that's an application, certainly, where you wouldn't balk at the fact, well, if, if we can kind of quantify this and and understand some patterns, if we can look at kind of different patients and say that, hey, their cancer is kind of growing at the same time, let's apply this, this kind of treatment and finding commonalities there, uh, that you wouldn't have found otherwise if you hadn't quantified stuff that you were just kind of treating each individual person separately and like w- not worrying about patterns and math and stuff like that you know that that, that that's crazy of, of course you'd, you'd want to find that um, and, and that, that's part of what we're trying to do is is kind of create these predictive models where we can uh, kind of take a whole kind of class of maybe similar patients with a similar type of cancer and come up with treatment regimens that are going to help them um, So is it fair to say that you that you're doing several things at the same time? here? First of all you
0: you really could be creating some pragmatic model that actually helps to affect stopping cancer and then at the same time you, you're you putting forward an example of how mathematics could approach any problem in, in, in a creative and innovative way. I mean, you're doing both of those things at the same time.
2: Right, absolutely. And that, that's what I'm finding myself becoming more of an advocate of as kind of time goes on. I'm looking for ways um, to kind of put mathematics in the spotlight, to kind of show people its pragmatic use, yeah. and so I, I've had a blast, kind of you know, working with Rev and Flow and, and working on those problems. And it's funny, you know, I was I was listening to some of your previous uh, podcasts, and you know, you were talking about I a problem. The listener, I knew, yeah, I, 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 I knew we one. knew. Who it I was. One. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, but I was, uh, you know, a, a few back, you were talking about uh, how you went uh, to the. South Carolina Department of Transportation and heard about like their 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 budget issues with trying to improve like the, the roads and infrastructure and had this idea about uh, like solar panels and can we you know like lay down these solar panel roads kind of like gain in, uh, you know energy and uh, it, as, as, as kind of like a long term investment and when I heard that I was like man that is a math modeling question. Yes. Um, and so, so, uh, so another thing that uh, I, I kind of uh, help our students with, I, I serve as a faculty advisor for this uh, Mathematical Contest and Modeling uh, that's an international contest put on every year. And they walk
0: down the runway. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that's
2: right, that's right. Um, yeah, we actually had students that have been confused about that before. It's like, I want you to participate in the Mathematical Contest and Modeling. And they take it as like this compliment. It's yeah. like, ooh. Wow. wow. Hey, yeah. the first time somebody's told me that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but yeah. So this uh, this company Comap uh, puts forth these uh, c- a couple of relevant problems every year, and just asks like teams of math majors all around the world to kind of work on it for a, f- a few days, and to kind of, you know write up a paper about it and submit it, and then they'll kind of rank like the best papers and see if they actually get any kind of useful solutions about this. So past problems have included things you know like uh, developing algorithms to search for like uh, missing planes in the open ocean, you know, like when the the, the, the Malaysian aircraft. Uh, um, you know, went down and, and all of these different kinds of things, uh, developing uh, useful uh, evacuation routes, say like if the state got flooded or something and you had to turn around highways and, you know, get everybody out. Um, you know, so all of these different kinds of things, they'll just throw out there and see what people come up with. And I'm thinking, you know, why not kind of create a, a modified version of that for like for Rock Hill? or for the state of South Carolina and get, you know, like a lot of students, you know, like around the state or, or, or wherever thinking about these problems. I think that it should be ingrained
0: in our education from kindergarten on that when you do an exercise uh, for the purpose of learning, you are, you are approaching a real opportunity slash problem of your community. Mm-hmm. And community could be your, your classroom, your school your town, your state, your country, your world, whatever it is. And, and I don't think there there's really not, and this is an ideal, but there really is no reason to ever have an arbitrary um, made-up example so that you can see how it works for that example. You know what I mean? You might as well be solving a real problem. I mean, if you're going to learn arithmetic, you might as well be working on like our water issue in the county. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Why not? Yeah. You know, fifth graders, twelfth graders, everybody. Mm -hmm. But boy, that would take a huge reinvention of our education system. Yeah, absolutely. So are you going to do that?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I'll do what I can. And, uh, again, that, that's that's how I approach teaching my classes. I mean, I, I want to show students that this stuff has real use. And so, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about my cancer research, and I'm going to start talking about this work that we did with you guys now. and
0: kind of to talk about is I'm going to tell Tommy Pope that you, he needs to hire you to or give you a grant or something to work on um, this whole Solar Rose question.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll, we'll take a team of students and give it a shot. And I mean, why, why not just... Uh, you know, that, that's going to improve the education of these math students and, you know, can lead to new innovative ways of, of tackling the problem. And I think, to, to a larger extent, that, that's sort of why I think that businesses need to kind of look at math more seriously. Um, you know, hire a math major because they're going to bring kind of this, this novel way of thinking and pattern forming and connecting to your business. And they're going to be able to find processes to optimize and search out efficiency because we, we just can't help it. That, that, that's what we're trained to do. I think it's going to be increasingly important because... You don't have this, um,
0: you know, once the uh, the line, what's it called, the Henry Ford's uh, line, the industrial line, what's it called, the assembly line. Yeah, you know, like once that was invented, it like, you know, there was only minuscule innovation around it for so long mm-hmm. because there's only so, you know, fast that you can roll it down or whatever. But now that organizations are more, almost look like, a, they're organized and that's like a pyramid and they look more like a molecule, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, you got all these different, skill sets and creative and innovative kind of people coming in and out of the process and it's all about solving problems at every level and everything increasingly you're going to need innovation that is about process and logistics innovation Mm -hmm. so I'm with you I think that it's going to be an increasing need in the creative and technical marketplace that people will be solely focused on uh... the logistics of process Mm -hmm. you know so so i want to say is that it's cool that you're in rock hill it's cool that you're doing these types mm-hmm. of programs. You know, we're always amazed that um, you don't have to be in Harvard to do this type. You don't have to be at MIT to mm-hmm. do this. You know, Chris uh, and Micah don't have to be in Hollywood to make movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's in everything. So it's a pleasure pleasure to have you on the podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's been a blast.
0: Is there any last words uh, on behalf of all, all mathematics? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, just m- make sure to give mathematics a shot, you know, uh, y- you can, you can enjoy mathematics casually. You don't have to enjoy it, you know, at a, at a professional level, so... Just wear protection.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, any last words for the people?
1: Yeah, I'll say this. I'll say, don't stop believing.
0: Because the children are the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. John? Any last words? Uh, can I have a cigarette? Um, no. Um, And, of course, we'll always end with uh, a summary from uh, Silent Micah. Micah? Nice, well said, well played. (laughs) Always witty. (laughs)
1: That was a good one. Leave me alone, mister. (laughs) (laughs) right, We'll
0: we'll see y'all next week on Old Town New World.